0: Hey, welcome everybody. It's Dwayne here. I'm one of the pre-hospital care specialists with the Southwest Ontario Regional Based Hospital Program, and welcome to another SWART podcast. This is actually podcast number 11. And for today's topic, we're going to be talking about centralized patching. So for some of you, you may have already had the experience of this patching model, and for others, your opportunity is around the corner. You may not have done this yet. So today's podcast is going to touch on some of the historical background with the SWART patching system what the patching system is, and some of the advantages and disadvantages of this particular model. We're also going to cover what we learned from our pilot project and what the future entails for the base hostile patching system within the SWARP region. I'm going to introduce uh, Dr. Matt Davis. He has been an instrumental part of this centralized patching program from its inception stage to where we're at right now. Matt, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks Dwayne for having me and as you said, I'm very excited to be here today to let our listeners know about our centralized patch model.
0: Awesome. So before we dig a bit deeper into the centralized patching system here, can you let the listeners online know some of the stats about the patching here at Swarp? Like for example, how many patches on average would occur every day in Swarp's region?
1: So we did a little bit of a historical dive into some of the data and we looked at 2019-2020 fiscal year. And what we noted was that we had 1,699 patches during that time. And on average, we had 4.7 patches per day. And when we looked at the range of patches, it varied from having zero patches on one particular day up to a high of 13.
0: Well, that's awesome. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of phone time there. Now, when you're listening to these patches, Matt, like you and all the other the physicians involved, what's the, what are the most common patch types that you're hearing?
1: So, background on patching. We know that the ALS PCS and the preamble states that there's four opportunities or reasons why a paramedic may patch to the base hospital, and the most common reason is because it's a mandatory patch point within the medical directive. But there's also three other indications listed within the ALS PCS preamble, which states that if the regional base hospital introduces a mandatory base hospital patch point outside of the medical directive, which we don't have any here in the Southwest. For situations that fall outside the medical directives would be another reason why a paramedic may contact the base hospital physician when they feel that uh, the patient may benefit from online medical direction that falls within uh, the paramedic's scope of practice. And the fourth reason was when the paramedic's uncertain about the application of a medical directive, either in whole or part for the patient that's in front of them, they have the ability to patch to the base hospital physician. When we look at the types of patches as a whole, what is the most common reason why we are being called upon to provide online medical control? It would be in resuscitation scenarios with the requested order being a termination of
0: resuscitation. That's great. Now, when we look at the historical model, the previous model, so how many patch physicians were there in that previous historical model that we had?
1: With our historical model, we had 170 patch physicians. And these were ED physicians working at various sites in the southwest.
0: Oh, okay. Now, when we look at the historical model versus our current centralized patching, what are the big differences that come into play there?
1: With our historical model, Duane, we had six different patch sites. These patch sites reflect the historical former base hospitals that were present before the amalgamation of the base hospitals uh, across the province. So historically, we had a base hospital in Sarnia, Windsor, uh, Owen Sound in London, prior to the provincial downsizing into the current model of, of seven land and one air base hospital. So those hatch sites reflect kind of that historical model of uh, previous the base hospital system with a centralized patching we have one dedicated on-call physician who's managing all the patches in the southwest region and although we call it centralized it, they're not necessarily located in in one central location we have patch physicians from all over the southwest region providing this service
0: okay that sounds pretty that sounds pretty broad pretty diverse so When we think about advantages and disadvantages to this centralized patching model, can you give us some examples of advantages and disadvantages?
1: So when we were looking at moving towards a centralized model, we of course wanted to know the benefits, the pros, as well as the the disadvantage or cons to this system. And one of the biggest advantages we thought with this system is we would move from a system of 170 patch physicians down to a core group of 10 patch physicians. And so, by kind of moving from this very large group to a smaller group, we felt that we would be able to utilize a core group of physicians who have uh, expertise and/or interest in pre-hospital and transport medicine. And um, you know, previous our previous system, the eMERGE physicians were busy; they were working in the, the department, and they would also have to provide this service on top of their day-to-day activities within the department. So our centralized process ensures that eMERGE physicians aren't being pulled from providing that direct clinical care to uh, patients in a busy ED. We also received feedback from from paramedics saying that there was a a variety of knowledge amongst the 170 patch physicians in terms of scope of practice. What's the difference of scope of practice between a PCP and ACP? So we often got uh, feedback saying, you know, there was concern potentially about understanding of the directives or, or scope of practice between uh, what a PCP and an ACP can or cannot do. So having a core group of patch physicians will, would help overcome some of this, this knowledge gap.
0: So when we look at the closer move towards standardization of online medical controls across the region, how does this, what are, what are some of the things that take place with that?
1: So with fewer patch physicians, uh, it will allow us to ensure that we're giving a consistent and appropriate use of online medical control. Furthermore, uh, quality assurance and quality improvement will be much easier given it's a smaller group that we're working with. We as base hospital physicians have to do yearly uh, continuing medical, medical education related to this service that we provide. So having a smaller group will help us really tailor and focus our CME on the needs of the base hospital physicians in a yearly process. But we've actually gone from yearly. Now we're going to have actually quarterly CME for our base hospital physicians.
0: Well, that's awesome, Matt. So what do you see, if any, is there any impact on pre-hospital care?
1: So we surmised and have also found that the on-call patch physician tends to remain on the patch longer than when they would be working in a busy emergency department. Thus, the more opportunity to provide support or advice to the paramedic who's patching. And furthermore, we really believe that the on-call patch physician may have an overall better understanding of the medical directive scope of paramedic practice and thus allowing for improved patient care.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. And I mean, and as with, with a result of that, what kind of impacts do you foresee or that you know of that are taking place with paramedics as a whole?
1: We, again, thought that as time progressed, that the paramedics may become more comfortable patching, given it's a smaller group of patch physicians that they will be interacting with uh, for medical control as opposed to some regions. If you're patching to London, there was 80 or so patch physicians that you may be, be speaking to. Now that number has gone from a high of 80 down to 10. So we also have more exposure of our, our SWARP medical directors to frontline paramedics. Again, very difficult to have that face-to-face time with over 1,400 paramedics in the southwest. So at least this allows us to have you know a bit of phone time speaking with paramedics in our region as well. And the paramedics themselves may have more confidence in the patch physicians given we've selected physicians that have more expertise in, and confidence in providing online medical control.
0: That sounds really positive. Now, do you see any, uh, like for the, in the future, down the road, do you see any preparation? Do you have any needs that have to be taken care of?
1: So the government's definitely been looking at other models of care uh, for the pre-hospital environment and expansion to these alternative models of care that may allow for treat and release or treat and refer or treat and alternate destination. Having these new models I foresee probably more mandatory patch points built into these types of models of care or these types of directives and this may involve more in-depth online medical control resulting in longer patches and as we stated earlier, centralized patching does not take that patch physician away from ED clinical care. And again, that physician is dedicated to that phone for that day. They're not working clinically. So we believe that will allow for, for more of these future models to succeed successfully.
0: Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of good advantages there. Now, how about any disadvantages? Do you see anything that could pose difficulties or a negative impact? And if so, what, are, what do you think those are?
1: The, the biggest hurdle that we had moving to this was the cost of this model. Uh, it's a more expensive model than the historical model we had. So there was the, the need for funding this model, which can be seen as a potential barrier or disadvantage. It's a more expensive model. There's also the potential for missed calls that may lead in delay to the patch being answered. However, we weighed that against the delay for an ED physician answering the patch phone. You know, they may be involved in providing direct care and have to step away from that patient to answer the patch. And I think most paramedics are aware that, you know, calling into the eMERGE, there's often a delay between the phone being answered and a physician being able to be on the phone to provide that online medical control. There's also, uh, we've got some feedback, too, about the loss of the pre-hospital and transport medicine exposure for the majority of current patch physicians. So, you know, we again, we had 170 patch physicians who were providing the service, and, and now they will no longer be providing that service. So they will lose that kind of exposure that they did have. But again, that needs to be weighed across the region, and some eMERGE physicians may only answer the patch phone a, a handful of times through an entire year. We've also heard from paramedics the, the concern about the loss of that local relationship between patch physicians and a, a paramedic, but it, it should also be noted that the majority of our paramedic services within the Southwest uh, do not have access to that local relationship with, with patch physicians. You know, they're utilizing patch physicians at sites that they will they will never bring their patients to. Right,
0: right. Well, Matt, it sounds like from what you described there, the advantages far outweigh the disadvantages there, it sounds pretty positive. So when we think about this patching system compared to the the historical model, what was the what were the big reasons for like the change? What was the impetus to change that current model?
1: So moving to the centralized patch model has always been something that we wanted to do here at Swarp. The biggest barrier again was the funding for it, which prevented us from really moving forward with it. However, two more recent developments really made us focus again on on moving towards a centralized patch. And the first um, was the COVID-19 Auxiliary Directive. When this directive was developed um, prior to us really having any idea of how the situation would have unfold here in the Southwest regarding the impact COVID-19 would have on our, our emergencies, our hospitals, and the pre-hospital environment, the thought was that uh, if this directive went into play, it was one of the first treat and release type of directives that would, would be in play. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's there's more risk with treat and release. And as such, there would be a mandatory patch point involved for a potential treat and release with this, this medical directive. And again, if this directive were to be put into play, it would be a dire situation in our, our, our emergency departments, in our hospitals, if this, this directive was in play. And again, it kind of ties into bringing a eMERGE physician from the clinical bedside to the patch phone. To uh, provide online medical control for a potentially you know complex patient who has been released on scene, and right. so this would be you know probably a, a longer conversation with the paramedic, uh, a longer conversation potentially with the, the patient themselves as well. And so we saw this as a need to have one dedicated physician to be able to provide this this service because, again, I think the patch time would be much longer than our typical time spent on on phone for the mandatory patch points within the PCS. Yeah, that makes sense. And, again, as I alluded to earlier, too, uh, the ministry is looking at new patient care models. And with these new patient care models, we really foresee that there probably will be a, a larger role for online medical control as patients are are no longer being transported to traditionally to the emergency department. Again, the opportunity for treat and release directives, treat and refer directives, uh, treat and alternate destination directives. So anticipating these coming down the road, we thought there would be a, a larger role for online medical control. And once again, these would be more complex, in-depth conversations where we felt that having one dedicated physician who can focus simply on this task at hand would be would be beneficial. So that really was the impetus for us to start looking at moving towards the centralized patch model
0: and developing our pilot project. Oh, that sounds terrific. Thanks for that, the background on that. So when we talk about the SWARP centralized patch model and how it looks, so with the medics out there, who are they going to be speaking with? Like when, when they're on the line, when they're calling in, who will they be speaking with? And how does that, if you could describe that and how that works out there?
1: So we have an on-call physician or a centralized patch physician who will answer um, the phone between 7 in the morning and 11 p.m. So this is the the patch physician that uh, you will be calling or speaking to when you're calling the BHP primary line. At uh, 11 p.m., the line then switches over to University Hospital uh, in London, and one of the eMERGE physicians will then cover the patch phone between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. The BHP secondary line is Victoria Hospital, an emerg doc who's who's working on shift at Victoria Hospital in London. And this is our 24-7 backup line that is to be used if the BHP primary cannot be reached.
0: Okay, perfect. Thanks for that. And can you kind of give us or outline an approach that was taken to move to a centralized patching, if you can kind of describe the process there?
1: So we decided to trial this model over a three-month period beginning December 2020, and we scheduled it to run until the end of February 2021, with the potential for the addition of some other months if all things were working well. So the purpose of our pilot was really to determine, is this model feasible and sustainable as a model of patching within the SWARP region? And so as part of this, as we we rolled it out, we also wanted to get feedback from from stakeholders as well to get their thoughts and experiences with it. So as part of this pilot project, we also received paramedic feedback from those that utilized the centralized patching. We had feedback from our patch physicians who were providing the service. We also then went into the data to kind of look at the number of patch failures during this time, the reasons for that patch failure number of instances where the phone was not answered by the on-call patch physician, how many times was the past physician online with one patch when another patch came through as well, right. Right. and uh, when utilizing the secondary BHP, how often was this used appropriately versus inappropriately? And so, yeah, we know we kind of looked at with all angles of this model, and of course with any, any pilot period, the idea is to kind of Find out what the kinks are and work those out during that time, too, before something rolls into a more permanent model. And and just one thing, you know, with with all this data that we did collect, we have shared this information through our patching post newsletter. Uh, It has an infographic within it. And for those who have not seen this, you can actually uh, find this on our website, and we'll provide a link on our podcast page that will take you directly to that patching post. And you can see the infographic that outlines some of the information that we gleaned from our pilot project.
0: Oh, that sounds terrific. Thanks for that. Now, uh, throughout our conversation, you've been referring to and echoing uh, the term pilot period. So is this still a pilot project? Is this still going on? Where are we at in the stages of this now?
1: so one of the biggest barriers or hurdles that we had overcome was receiving adequate funding to uh, continue on with this model if the the pilot itself was successful and i'm happy to announce that as uh, april 1st we did receive funding to continue on with this model and given the progress that we made throughout the pilot period and uh, overcoming some of the the real world hiccups and the positive feedback that we did receive The decision was to move forward with this as a our permanent model of providing online medical control in the southwest region
0: well that's great so you mentioned hiccups so what were some of the hiccups that were encountered during the pilot period and can you can you kind of give an overview or highlight what swarp did in response to those particular hiccups
1: as described the phone lines needed to be switched over between the on-call physician and the emergency departments in order for this to be done, we relied on the emergency department clerks at LHSC to actually do this this process or procedure for us. And this brings into into the equation human factors elements. And unfortunately, at times, the eMERGE clerks would get busy, it would be forgotten, and the phone lines wouldn't be switched over to the appropriate uh, on-call physician or back to the emergency department when that on-call physician was, was no longer providing their service. So at these times, this sometimes led to phone calls being directed to not the most appropriate patch physician. We also required all the service issue phones to be reprogrammed with the new numbers to reach the BHP primary line and the BHP secondary line. Uh, Some phones were missed in the the process, so the the numbers that being called were directing calls to the the wrong uh, patch physician. Also, we, we are aware that some paramedics do use their own personal phones when patching uh, to the BHPs. And uh, unfortunately, the, the message wasn't received by everyone to be switch over to these new numbers. So they were calling old numbers, which led them to the wrong patch physicians uh, who should not be necessarily taking that call at that time. We followed up on all these issues. We, you know, every time a a call was directed to the wrong line, we did some follow-up with with paramedics trying to discern why this occurred. And, And a lot of the times, these were the three main reasons as to why the patches were being directed to the wrong person.
0: Okay, well, thanks. No, that's just little hiccups there. So based on that, have there been any recent changes that have occurred now that this centralized patching model has become a permanent model?
1: So thanks to Deb Jansen, our coordinator of quality. She has been working with LHSC IT department, and we now have the ability to switch over phone lines uh, through an automated process. So we no longer are reliant on the emergency uh, clerks within the emergency departments to switch those lines over. This is done all automatically. So this ensures that uh, at 7 a.m. and 11 p.m., those phone lines are always switched over to the appropriate patch physician. This will also allow for our, our on-call physicians to also potentially cover some of the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shifts. And uh, as of June 1st, some of our patch physicians will now be covering night shifts in addition to the 7 a.m. to, to 11 p.m.
0: shifts as well. Oh, great. Now, I was just going to talk about feedback here. Like, has SWORP received any feedback regarding this particular model from the medics or the patch physicians. But before you answer that, i just like to say, I've had to call in on this line and it seemed to work really, really well. It was crystal clear physician answered the phone very promptly. I had no issues or concerns with the, the patching line myself. Have you received anything else from anybody else out there? Like the patch physicians, the medics at large, that sort of thing?
1: The biggest feedback that we have received from the paramedics regarding the patch phone between 7am and 2300 is the speed at which they have the ability to speak with the physician. With our historical model, the patch would be made, it would be answered by a a nurse who would then have to put on overhead for a physician to come to the phone and know the physicians in the department may be in the middle of a procedure, busy with something. And right. it would it would take time for them to to go to the patch phone. Sometimes there was thought, well, there's another physician who's going to answer it, and no one's answering it. So there was that that delay to answering the phone. So I think that's been the uh, kind of the most common feedback that we've received from paramedics who have utilized this is the speed at which they are in contact with a physician. And at the beginning, just from being a, a on-call physician, I know sometimes with, they were used to that old model, and they were surprised when I answered the phone and said who I was, I was and they had asked to speak to the physician. I'm like, you are speaking to the physician because they are so used to having to speak with the, the nurse first, then the physician. Right, right. Other feedback that that we did receive from paramedics is, as you said, uh, more clear. Um, the reason for this, I think, is that you know, in terms of PPE, we're on call, we're not in the clinical department, so we're not masked up. So at least we're having one less person who's masked up in PPE, per providing the you know communication.
0: Great.
1: The we know historically we've often had issues with the hardware in our emergency departments. Uh, the technology is not the most up-to-date technology, so I think um, that's cut out that component for a large portion of the twenty-four hour day of, of depending lean or depending on that older technology. Uh, just uh, an anecdote from from this pilot period is that we actually received feedback from a few paramedics about the quality of the phone lines between 2300 and, and 7 a.m. So this was identified by paramedics bringing this to our attention through the communication line. Uh, we notified CAC, the Central Ambulance Communication Centre, who investigated, and there was actually a problem with the the phone at University Hospital. And it was a relatively quick period because of this this feedback during this pilot period that we recognized that was an issue. So that was that was changed out. From other, you know, feedback that we we've had too is that uh the paramedics feel that when they're talking with the centralized patch physician, that they are more in tune or aware of the medical directive scope of practice as well. Patch physicians themselves have felt like there's fewer competing demands, so they can put all their energy into the the patch itself. I know a lot of us are able to stay on the phone. You know, feel like we have all the time in the world to stay on the phone, uh, as well. We've also, you know, we've also thought there will be more consistency too with the online medical control component given we have 10 docs providing the service as opposed to 170. And with our CME, we're learning from each other as well. So we will discuss some of these patch calls uh, as a tabletop exercise and kind of talk about difficult calls or what would you do in these situations to to learn from. And then also I think that will help too with providing consistent online medical control uh, from this point forward.
0: So for those of that haven't used the, the base hospital physician primary line since moving forward to this model, can you kind of give an overview of what actually happens when they call in, just like a step-by-step thing?
1: So the phone should be programmed to have the BHP primary and BHP secondary on the phone. So the service issues phone should have those numbers built into them. If you're using your personal phone, Again, please make sure that you have the proper numbers installed there. Your service leaders can provide you with those numbers if if you are unable to find them within your email that we sent to you. So you always want to start with the BHP primary line. So the first thing you're going to do, you recognize that a patch is needed. You're going to call the BHP primary line. So that is called. And we actually have a recording as to what you will hear as a paramedic who's utilizing this. So you've determined a patch is required, you get your phone, you press BHP primary line, and this is what you're going to hear. So you hear the two rings. So what's happening now is your call is going through Central Ambulance Communication Center or dispatch. At this point, it's hit their diverter meaning it's gonna send the phone to LHSC. So you hear the two rings as the patch physician, I've got my phone on me, I my phone is not ringing at this point. And we'll continue on as to what you'll hear next. We are transferring your call to the BHP primary patch line, please hold. Thanks. So at this point, you've got the voice recording saying your call is being forwarded to the BHP who's on call. Okay. And at this point, this is when our phone starts to ring. So although you've been on the line for, you know, 10 seconds here, we still haven't been notified that you're trying to get a, get a hold of us. So don't be alarmed when you hear this voice come on. This is not the voicemail. This is just saying we're directing your call to the, the BHP. So the good old Cisco hold music. So we didn't wanna have just silence in the air in case people thought, oh, my phone, the the line's been disconnected. So you will hear some of the Cisco music during this time. And at this point, when you're hearing this music, that's when our phone is starting to ring. And as soon as, as we answer it, you'll hear this. So that's basically what you will hear as a frontline paramedic. So just in summary, you call, it goes to dispatch two rings, sent to LHSC where you hear the pre-recording saying that you've reached the BHP line. The Cisco music comes on. At this point, the BHP's phone is ringing. And as soon as they answer, you are in contact with that patch physician.
0: Well, thanks for that, Matt. So just another question here. So can you describe for our listeners out there, the medics out there, so if they call the primary line and say no one answers or it goes to a voicemail, what should we be doing at that point?
1: So on our end as the patch physician, we have a certain amount of time to answer that phone. Now, most of us are good, we're gonna have that phone on us, but every now and then you're in your house, you put your phone down and you know it's ringing and you can't get to it quick enough. So at that point, if no one answers, you will receive voicemail, which says that you've reached the primary line not to leave a message. Okay. If, you can, if you're using that primary line and you get voicemail, you're not connected to that past physician, we ask that you try one more time okay. because sometimes it may just be, I just couldn't get it to it quick enough or you know it's the middle of winter, I was outside, had all my gloves on and I tried to get to the phone, I just couldn't answer it quick enough. So we ask you to try one more time. If after that second time, you once again get voicemail, then that would be the indication to use the secondary line. And this is kind of our, our backup so that you will be able to get a hold of a, a patch physician. And once again, that backup is going to be Victoria Hospital 24-7. So you would just then move to BHP secondary on your phone.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, that clears up a, a lot of questions that are out there. That's wonderful. Thanks for explaining that to us, how that system works. now. Now that SWARP has adopted, uh, this is the model for patching. Uh, Can you let the medics out there, the listeners, know who the centralized patch physicians are that they'll be talking to?
1: So between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m., you'll be talking to uh, one of 10 medical or patch physicians. We have all our SWARP medical directors as patch physicians. So myself, we've got Dr. Sean Doran, who's the local medical director for our central services. We have Dr. Lauren Valdis, who's our medical director of education. We doc- have Dr. Sunil Mehta, who is our local medical director for Gray and Bruce, as well as Dr. Paul Bradford, who provides the local medical director services for Chatham-Kent, Essex-Windsor, Lampton, Huron, as well as Perth. From our former Windsor patch site, we have Dr. Don Levy, who's a former medical director uh, for pre-hospital care in New Brunswick. We also have Dr. Tony Mariano, who is a member of the trauma team, uh, also provides critical care uh, coverage and uh, is involved in the armed forces, and he's been heavily involved in pre-hospital education as well. From Owen Sound, we have Dr. Don Eby, who is our former local medical director for our northern services. And in London, we have Dr. Mary Fotheringham, who has done some elective time during her residency in uh, EMS and pre-hospital care, and also provides pre-hospital event medicine coverage. And we also have Dr. Carolyn Church, who's a physician out of uh, St. Thomas General Hospital who was a volunteer EMT while living in Vermont and does a lot of uh, ED coverage in smaller communities and rural uh, communities.
0: Oh, that's good. So these are a lot of familiar names that we have here. Another question for you. So some feedback has been regarding the use of patch physicians for destination decisions. So can you provide the approach that uh, our patch physicians will take uh, regarding these calls and the rationale as to why?
1: As part of our planning process, we identified that the historical use of BHPs for destination direction would be a change with this new patch model. As the destination policies have been developed over the years for multiple services within our region, we've seen a decreasing number of patches directed to our BHPs for destination decisions. But there still remains some historical reliance on BHPs to assist with this, so As such, we've taken a standardized approach which is one of our goals in moving to the centralized model uh, when it comes to destination patches across the region. So from a legislative perspective, as per the Ambulance Act and direction from um, the Emergency Health Regulatory and Accountability Branch, uh, BHPs, we cannot direct ambulance traffic to specific hospitals and so in order for us to remain compliant with the legislation, our BHPs will direct paramedics to follow their destination agreements. If for some reason the situation is not covered by a destination agreement, then they're going to advise you to follow dispatches direction or proceed to the closest hospital. It really needs to be recognized that uh, ambulance direction, um, or sorry, ambulance destination is not a medical order. And thus, we as physicians cannot, by law, direct ambulance traffic. This really falls outside our scope of online medical control. We have some of the most robust destination agreements in the province, in my opinion. And I know that our our local medical directors and myself and a program manager, we're always reviewing the the destination agreements along with the the services and hospitals to ensure that we are getting the the right patients to the, the correct sites. I'm aware that US frontline paramedics can be put in front of the firing squad when you arrive in an emergency department and for whatever reason that emergency department deems that the patient who has been appropriately transported to the correct site is not appropriate for that emergency department. And a vast majority of times these complaints are not always based on what is in the best interest of the patient or the patient population. So we're aware that it happens, but you know you can be assured that your, your destination agreements are, are some of the most robust
0: in the province. Well, thanks for that, Matt. That really helps uh, clear things up there. Um, can you provide some quick pearls to our listeners online regarding some, if any, of the lessons that have been learned thus far with this model and how everybody can contribute to continue to make this model more successful?
1: So first off, As I said earlier, attempt the BHP primary line twice before moving to the secondary. Sometimes we're, as patch physicians, not able to answer quickly enough. Sometimes in going to answer the phone, we accidentally hang up on you, you know, big sausage fingers trying to press the button, hit the (laughs) wrong (laughs) button. Um, We may be on the other line with another patch and see that your call is coming through and trying to transfer between lines may drop the call. So always try um, the BHP primary line twice before moving to the secondary. Uh, run numbers. So we require run numbers in order to uh, find the appropriate ACR to match with our documentation. So do your best to provide these at the end of the call. Um, we're able to stay on the line with you again, so that's another uh, advantage of this system. Uh, if you need to call a dispatch to get that run number while we're on the line with you, that is absolutely fine. We understand sometimes the, the scene is dynamic. You're you know transporting a, a Ross patient or a cardiac arrest patient we've deemed needs to go to the emergency department. You can always call back with that, that run number. Just be aware that our shift does change at 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. So if you do not call before that time, you may be calling a, a past physician who has no idea what you're talking about. So really try to get that run number in before our, our shift time changes. Uh, be aware that patch numbers no longer exist. I've you know personally had some paramedics ask, ask me what the patch number is. So, in lieu of that, we require the, the the run number. If you are using your personal phone, please ensure you have the correct program numbers programmed in. We sent memos from Swarp with these numbers a few times. Your service leadership should also have these numbers, so please approach them if you are unable to find the, the numbers that we have sent you. Your patch physician may take some time to discuss the case with you or debrief or explain some rationale behind their decisions. You know, I've utilized this when when Paramex have called back with patch numbers uh, just to to kind of go over the case or even for my own interests, follow up on, on what transpired with the rest of the call that I had been involved with. So. Uh, We're also more likely to stay on the phone longer with you um, rather than having you call back during a call as well. I've been on on the line saying, nope, go ahead and do this. I'm going to stay on the line for the next five minutes. We'll see how things go and we'll pick it up from there. If you do use the secondary line, please do not be offended if the patch physician asks you why the call was directed to them. This is another part of the safety net that we've asked them to inquire about why the secondary number had to be used. So they're writing this on their patch sheet so that when we do follow up with the call, we are just aware as to why you use that, that secondary line. For instance, if the primary line failed twice, you tell that secondary patch physician who is answering the phone, well, the reason I called is I called the primary line twice, couldn't get a hold of the doc. They'll write that down and makes just kind of the, the follow-up much easier. And the other thing that we had feedback from our former patch sites is they've transitioned from a model of being aware of all the patients that were coming to them that were uh, pre-arrest or in cardiac arrest where online medical control has been used to not having this luxury. So we just ask that the the paramedics try to notify the emergency departments as early as possible when they are transporting these pre-arrest or arrest patients to the, the site so that they can adequately prepare.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks for that, Matt. So it seems that the move to uh, the centralized patching has been an enormous undertaking with lots of moving parts involved. Uh, it also appears that overall it's been a huge success uh, for the Southwest Ontario Regional-Based Hospital Program. And it also meets um, the mission that our organization uh, has, which is to facilitate the delivery of excellent pre-hospital care while advancing safe practices and preparedness through collaboration and partnerships and innovation.
1: Dwayne, I'm really glad you mentioned our mission statement as this endeavor truly meets it. There's been a great collaboration between multiple stakeholders and my thanks goes out to them. Deb Jansen, our coordinator of quality assurance was instrumental in making things happen and getting things done. Whenever we ran up against a hurdle, she would develop multiple solutions to that, that problem. Uh, thanks to the Central Ambulance Communications Center for supporting this endeavor, as they too provided a lot of uh, time and energy into the logistics of this project. LH- LHSCIT has uh, been instrumental too in developing the appropriate technology and built in redundancies to ensure that we have patches going to the correct physicians. To our centralized patch physicians who jumped headfirst into this, Given their desire to be part of the pre-hospital care system, for your feedback to improve the system from a patch physician standpoint, kudos to you. To our paramedic services for supporting us as we move through this venture, reprogramming all those phones, and helping us deliver the message about this model, we, we thank you for, for that as well. And of course, to our frontline paramedics and end users of this model, thank you for your feedback, both positive and constructive, of how to make things even better. Thanks for your patience as we got this model up and running. Yes, there are definitely hiccups along the way, which we expected. And thank you for putting your trust in us that we would rectify these these issues. And uh, understanding that the purpose of this whole pilot period was to identify what worked, what didn't, and what needed to be fixed. And sometimes you can't anticipate what these hiccups are going to be until you actually implement uh, your plan. And so this is the whole purpose of the pilot project and uh, thank you for helping us make it uh, a success for those who uh, remain skeptical or still doubting that this is a a more advantageous model i just ask that you keep an open mind about it for sure no model is perfect and i'm not saying that this is the perfect model but we're continuing to fine tune it and make improvements overall we feel that this model is right for the pre-hospital care system now and for the future And Dwayne, thank you for today. It was exciting to have this opportunity to talk about centralized patching. As you know, it's been very near and dear to my heart getting this up and running, and so I'm very pleased to be able to provide more information to our paramedics in the region about this through our podcast here today. So I look forward to talking to our paramedics in the southwest region uh, one day during my role as a patch physician.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Matt. Really appreciate it. And just a reminder to our listeners online, you can find a Patching Post newsletter. It's on our website, and the link can be found on the podcast webpage. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon.